Thanks to Sana Skin Studio for supporting the No podcast. Sana is a skin studio that is shifting the relationship with your skin and your products through goal-driven facials, real guidance, and clean skincare. Stay tuned for our promo code so you can receive $25 off of your first facial at Sana Skin Studio. Welcome to the No Podcast with me, Nikki Spo. What is up, truth speakers and light seekers? You are listening to The Know, where it is not about knowing everything, but about coming to know ourselves. I am your hostess, Nikki Spo, and I am so happy that you're here because today we are going to chat about what it means to be an experiential billionaire and how to build a life that is rich in experiences. Before I introduce the fantastic author who co-authored this book, Experiential Billionaire, I want to take a beat and remind you to subscribe to the show and leave a rating and a review. So, Joe... Huff, probably one of the most positive humans I have ever met in my life, no lie. I met Joe many years ago when I was living in Los Angeles, which in hindsight I realized was kind of a dark transitional time in my life. So we had mutual friends in common and every time he was part of the group, I remember thinking, man, this guy is really positive. And I don't know about you, but there have been times in my life when like I'm in a funk or whatever, and I just can't hear the positivity, you know? Do you know what I mean? So a few episodes ago, when I was chatting with Paul Scanlon, we talked about how when the student is ready, the teacher appears and how sometimes people are just here to nudge us along. Well, Joe is that guy. In a time in my life that was pretty chaotic, Joe was one of those positive seed planters in my life. So. Joe Huff is obsessed with experiences and is determined to unlock the secrets of his and his co-author Bridget Hilton's power to transform lives. Joe has spent years interviewing social science experts, conducting one of the largest surveys on life experiences ever done, and turning himself into an experiential guinea pig of sorts. Joe has trained to be samurai, he has danced with the Northern Lights, has tracked silverback gorillas in a hailstorm, has stood face to face with hungry lions on safari, has sped across glaciers on dog sleds, has absorbed life lessons from Maasai tribesmen, has built schools for kids in need, has studied with monks, has helped give 50,000 people hearing, hearing, okay? He has swum with sharks and has explored all of the experiential riches that life has to offer. I am so excited for him because he has written this fantastic book that we are going to hear all about today. So let's get started with Joe Huff. Joe Huff, my friend, welcome to The Know, where it is not about knowing everything. It's about coming to know ourselves. And I feel like your new book, Experiential Billionaire, Build a Life That is Rich in Experiences and Die with No Regrets, taps into this idea of coming to a place of deep inner knowing within ourselves and prioritizing the things that really matter in life. So welcome. Thank you so much. Thanks for having me, Nikki. And it's really good to reconnect. Definitely. Um, So as someone who hopes to author a book someday myself, what was the catalyst that made you say, okay, today is the day and I'm going to start this journey of sharing my expertise with the world? So like the life journey for me, I've always kind of embodied this whole experiential mindset. Um, But always, when I say always, actually, it started at a very young age for me. Uh, I had a pretty bumpy go uh, in my adolescent years. I, I basically got kicked out of high school and I barely managed to graduate. I wound up getting my my diploma. I was making a lot of excuses and I was trying to figure out how to you know, take some kind of responsibility for my life. I was kind of throwing everything away pretty early on. 
And um, something happened. What happened back then was my dad, who was only 48 years old, suddenly had an episode where um, he we thought he had a heart attack. We rushed him to the hospital, but it turned out he actually had heart failure and um, his heart was failing like right then. It wasn't like in the future. It was like his heart was failing. And they bumped him up to the top of the transplant list. And a few days later, um, he went on life support. And this is all so sudden. And that moment, you know, it was just like this crushing moment of, you know, wow, this is what life's about. You, you know, basically you put off all these things until your retirement and whatnot. And then maybe that doesn't ever happen, you know, and it just felt like this crazy realization that, you know, I think so many people live like that. And really watching my dad go through that, um, it just kind of made that statement that we all hear that our time is our most precious resource. Really, I, I understood it for the first time, obviously, because when you're young, you think you're going to live forever. And yeah, gonna- you hear it. You hear it. It is like a theory. It's a theory that like doesn't apply to you. Yeah, we're all super human when we're kids. And, uh, and yeah, what happened was uh, as my dad went through that, um, he the, the story has a happy ending. My dad wound up getting a heart transplant a couple months later. Um, and it was a pretty, you know, that during the period that we were waiting, um, you know, I just had been made really aware that there wasn't a guarantee on how much time the rest of us have to fulfill our goals and live our dreams. And that changed my life really dramatically. Um, I suddenly started to take a really hard look at what I was doing and the decisions I was making. And I started to think, well, what would happen if I did take responsibility for my life? And I stopped making excuses. And I started actually trying to think about what I cared about and what I wanted out of life and started trying to do those things. Um, Because my, my dad specifically, he had, you know, after he got his transplant. He got out of the hospital and it was far from perfect. He actually was on permanent disability. He was making $716 a month. And, you know, the doctors all told him to do the the safe thing and stay in his tiny little apartment that was close to the doctors in the hospital. But after going through what he went through, he knew what was at risk and he said no. And he actually changed his whole life. He moved down to Mexico to this tiny beach town. He learned how to sail and he went dancing every night and went and kayaked and swam in the Sea of Cortez and did all these really awesome things because he knew like that he was like, I don't have a guarantee. I want to, these are experiences I want to have that I had been putting off that I thought I would do like at some retirement phase that almost got robbed from him. So his second life had a really huge impact on me. So I started trying to figure out what I wanted to do. The one thing that really changed my life the most, I think, was I started putting those things like actually in my calendar. I started actually going, well, if I said I always wanted to move to the beach, why don't I move to the beach? And I found a couple of roommates and I moved to the beach. And uh, a lot of things like that kind of snowballed until like throughout my, my late teens and early 20s after high school, I just found myself constantly looking for new experiences and figuring out if I could have them. And the more of those experiences I had, the crazy thing was I just kept building more and more deep, meaningful relationships because that's how we build relationships, right? Is through shared experiences. And I definitely wasn't making money, right? I was actually, again, I barely graduated high school. I was, my parents, we didn't come from much. I was a total blue collar Kid growing up, my parents met on an assembly line making brake pads. So it wasn't like uh, there was like an option to let, let's travel the world now that I know that my time is finite. It was more of a what can I do with very limited resources? That mindset, though, started opening up 
opportunities for things that I never would have imagined possible. Um, and one of those being like, actually a friend of mine asked me to start a company with him. And I was like, I don't have any money. A, B, did you get the memo about me barely graduating high school and probably not qualified? And uh, it's funny because he actually said, you know, you always seem to figure out how to get things done. Don't worry about it. That's a life skill, Joe. That is a legitimate life skill. Yeah. And I'm not advocating for, you know, I'm not saying everybody, there's no benefit to higher education or, or, you know, trade school or whatever you're doing. I just think that people underestimate the value of our personal experiences in terms of our, our worth to people around us. That's exactly right. Yeah. We joke about it even like, you know, you want to work with the person that, you know, is a varied kind of person, somebody that like, you know, we, we say like John that has a Rolex and, and drives a Lexus is kind of boring, but John that got arrested in Tijuana for an incident with the donkey and border patrol, that's a John I want to know. <laughs> that's like the, that's I love like that. kind of the fun story. That took me on a journey. And this is all, by the way, coming back to your original question, we wound up starting this company and it was a t-shirt company. So it's kind of a gross overstatement. There was a company, it was two of me and my friend, like making t-shirts in a small garage. And that somehow grew and morphed into a shipping and warehousing business with over a hundred employees. And this is actually when my view of wealth started to change again, because when my dad's episode happened, I was really, you know, questioning what people place value on with their time. And then when this happened, when I got to this milestone of 100 employees with this company, I looked up and realized 10 years had gone by and I stopped doing all those things that I cared about that I had been doing. And I realized that I had the most money that I'd ever had in my life, but I actually was the least happy. I felt for the first time, I felt like my life was bankrupt, if that makes sense. Yeah. And, uh, yeah, that was a really powerful moment. So, um, and then, you know, randomly right around that time, my dad's bonus round um, came to an end and he actually did pass away. It's like a decade gone by. And um, it just really brought all those memories back of like how I felt when he was getting his heart transplant and how I had that, found that urgency back then that I had lost over the last decade. And I felt super fortunate, of course, to have been able to build a company and you know be entrusted you know, with a friend to do something together. It gave me enough of a refresher to say, what am I really doing and what do I yeah. want to be doing? And I left the company and I started uh, a company that worked with charities because I knew that I wanted to do something that could directly change the world, I thought. And I know that sounds cliche, but I think that was uh, uh, the truth. And it was a really terrifying moment. Again, I finally had financial security first time in my life. And I walked away from it. And that turned out to be one of the best decisions I ever made because what happened was I wound up getting to travel the world for the next like two years doing you know, water filtration in, in Haiti and building schools in Guatemala and helping uh, rehabilitate victims of trafficking in Indonesia. And it was just the most impactful time of my life. And then on top of that, that's how I met my current business partner, Bridget, because she saw that I was doing this charity work and she shared her idea of starting an audio company to make headphones and speakers to help people. That's um, right. I remember that. Yeah. So we started that because of a video she saw and she was working at Universal Studio. We have a very similar background. Her and I, she came from Flint, Michigan, and both of us grew up just kind of as the underdogs wanting to help other people come up. We started listening with like a high five. We jumped on a plane and went and figured out how to make headphones. And, you know, it's funny because we the way we describe it is it's not a 
r- traditional rags to riches type of story. It's a different kind of rags to riches story because a year after Bridget and I met, we were on our first mission giving a girl hearing for the first time. And we were actually on the ground through. Yeah, it was amazing. We saw this girl, you know, she had traveled really far. It was a full, you know, her parents brought her and we were, she, she didn't know if she was ever going to be able to hear. And, uh, and yeah, we actually put the hearing aids in and all of a sudden this girl's eyes popped wide open and she was like, she could hear. It was this incredible moment. Since that moment, the next eight years, we wound up traveling to over 20 countries and giving 50,000 people hearing aids. So it was this incredible journey. And along the way, we had some of the most incredible life experiences you could imagine. But this is the answer to your question. People along the way, as we started to get more and more visibility, and we were partnering with people like Delta and Google and Spotify, people were saying to us, wow, you guys must be killing it. You know, Beats sold to Apple for $3 billion. You guys must be super rich. And we were, the truth was, you know, as you probably are highly aware, most of us are, you know, what you have on paper versus, you know, what's in the bank as an entrepreneur is wildly different. So the truth was we were, yeah, we were giving all of our money to charity and, you know, using whatever was left as, you know, our marketing expense to travel and volunteer to work with the charities. And uh, we weren't like, you know, super rich, but we would joke and say, we're more like experiential billionaires. And we would never trade that though, you know, because it was such a great, uh, you know, life experience. We can't lose that like you could lose money. Can always make more money. That's what we were continuously, you know, saying. And then when when that COVID happened in 2020, the the missions all stopped. So, you know, we all of a sudden we had this this company that we built literally to give hearing. It wasn't to sell audio products. And all of a sudden that part kind of got taken away because we couldn't go do that. And that's when everyone we reached out to a bunch of folks and said, Hey, what should we do? How can we, you know, what's the best thing we could do to help, you know, provide something in the world. And everyone's like, you should tell your story and talk about how to do, how to live this kind of life and why it matters. And, and that was the impetus for the book. We started writing out this book. It became a pretty different book to be pretty honest again. Like once we started writing it, it kind of morphed into a uh, kind of a memoir that explains the whole theory around well, it. All. Yeah. But, uh, that was the impetus to it all. Well, I think that there's a like tremendous power in storytelling, Joe, and that's part of why I have this show, right? Is like to tell the stories of people like you and and other experts in their field and how how I'm not interested so much in the destination, right? Like I'm interested in like how did we get here? How did we arrive here? What went what did you do? What happened to you, right? That got you into this space where you are living a life that feels really pure and good to you. And you know, who's to say what should feel good and pure to anybody, right? Like some people might be doing what you're doing. Some people might be doing medical sales and they feel empowered and pure doing that because, you know, whatever. There's like, I'm not here to place judgment on what people are doing, but how did we get to the space where we feel called to do that or feel like that's there's purpose in this? There's love and soul and meaning in what I'm doing. And I think that a lot of people, Joe, are craving that. They're craving the meaning behind what they're doing. You know, there's millions of people going to work at, at jobs that they hate, you know? Oh, yeah. And maybe some people are doing those jobs to like, because they have to make ends meet and then they go home and they have a hobby that they that they love doing. And like that gives them the life and that gives them the fuel to like go to the job they hate, right? Because they get this little respite from what they're doing to do what they really love. But how can we create more 
of that. And like something that I, I'm hearing when you when you were telling this story is that like it's just a abundance mindset. Like you said just now that you can always make more money. I really take that in and I'm like, that is I, I feel that. I've always felt that my whole life. I worked a lot. Um, also blue collar family, like worked three jobs at a time, paid my way through college and everything. And I remember always thinking like, I'm not going to do this job that I, if I hate it, I know the money will come. And I know that if I just do the right thing and, and, and feel called and stand in my power and stand in my truth to, and the things that I'm doing and believe in, like the money will show up. And I think that's like a testament to having an, like moving away from a fear-based or lack mindset and into an abundance mindset where you truly believe like you're always going to be okay. You're always going to receive. The world is always going to provide for you. Like God or whatever it is that you believe in is guiding us and 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 you will not be left stranded. A hundred percent. And and really I think, you know, to add even to that, that's really helpful to point out because it's actually not about, you know, our the book and our message specifically isn't about money versus experiences. Um, because they aren't mutually exclusive, right? I think it's really important that you mention that. Yeah, a lot of people, and I thought that, to be honest, when I was growing up, I was like, you could only do one or the other unless you were inherently wealthy. I didn't realize the value of experiences from a financial standpoint. But the point, actually, the end-all, be-all is that the most important thing, though, that you need to absolutely make sure you're investing in is experiences throughout your life. Because at the end of your life, you're never, you're not going to be on the hospital bed and go, can I just see my wallet one more time? You're not, you're going to literally think about the things you did with the people you loved. And, you know, you're going to think about the things that you had said you were going to do yeah. that you didn't do. And you're going to regret that. So if you can start to really figure out what those things are, and a lot of people don't take the time to do that. What we're trying to do is show people how discovering that the experiences that they'll truly value and then coupling that with like the intention and urgency to go after those things. Like that's what leads to a life of limitless possibilities and potential. And of course, less regrets. We use our stories to show that that's possible and how that's possible. The reason we all love hearing a story is A, it's way easier to remember, but B, it's proof that it can happen for everybody. That's right. If you read the book, people will ask like, well, do you share any of the down you know, things are the things that the, the lows. And I'm like, it, it kind of is a lot of lows. It's mostly lows. <laughs> yeah. Oh my gosh. I can totally to relate to that, Joe. Like seriously. <laughs> I'm like, well, there's a lot of lows in my story here. Do you want to really air out all of them? I think that the lows is where you do the most learning. That's a great point. First, we question people in, you know, once we started to think, okay, our experience is the most important thing in our lives. We thought, what do other people think, right? So we started asking friends and family. And then we went to retirement homes and interviewed elderly people that were the last phases of their life. And then that led us to actually doing a survey of over 20,000 people around the world. And it's still running, actually. And it's really crazy because when we asked people what the things that they valued the most in their entire life were, a third, a full third of people, it was a negative experience. Something that shaped them, wow. something that made them who they are. And I wow. think that's just so telling. But you you don't have those experiences a lot of the time unless you try something or go for something or, you know, a lot of the time it takes like an action to create that kind of thing. So, and, and times, of course, it was nothing that anyone intended, but it was something that happened that just showed them how powerful they really were, et cetera. So I feel like I'm in that stage in my life, you know, like I've shared very openly that 2022 was a very difficult year for me with like me getting pregnant, which was a planned pregnancy. And um, 
a week later, my mom died. You know, my personal life was going up in flames. My four-year-old son was diagnosed with cancer. I give birth to my baby. I'm like going through all these motions and, and emotions, right? And I'm looking back, it's almost the end of 2023 now. And I'm like, dude, I'm so strong and capable. And like, my future is so bright because after the darkness comes the light. And for me, like, I think about like, I'm so grateful for my sobriety, right? But I had to go through a bunch of shit and rock bottoms, like many dark nights of the soul to even get to my sobriety, right? Like this wasn't something that happened overnight. And like, and, and the reason why we say this, we say these things is because everybody has these experiences. It just comes in different packaging. Like mine might look like hitting my rock bottom as, a, as an alcoholic. And it might look like maybe, you know, whatever, different life experience of my son getting sick. And But everybody, the feelings are the same, right? It, it, it presents differently. But I think a lot of these feelings that people have are the same. And I think that a lot of people are yearning for that sense of fulfillment. And to your point that, that these life experiences, the bad ones and the good ones, ultimately are what bring us a sense of peace, wholeness, and fulfillment in life. Absolutely. And that's why I think the older people get, the more they realize that stuff, right? The more they're like, this too shall pass, like the money things, all that stuff's temporary, right? The other things aren't temporary. The things that are like, how do you feel about how you're living, how you've lived your life, what you're putting into it? How, you know, I, I, somebody asked me, I thought a really interesting question in a podcast recently. They said, you know, what is a successful, you know, life look like to you at the end, like when you're dying that day, you know? And I said, knowing I've, I've been trying the whole time. I think you have those really big regrets in your life if you, at the, you know, you know, you didn't actually make the effort. And I think the reason that people like, you know, yourself and myself and other people, a lot of folks like they go through a traumatic experience or any kind of near death experience or sadly a death experience that's close to them they go out and run that marathon and climb that mountain and propose to that girl and do all those things because they have that urgency that just suddenly in there. And that's really what we're trying to do with experiential billionaires, give people that urgency minus the near-death experience, trying to show people, hey, remember this. And it's really powerful. I'll share an interesting anecdote. For me, and I think you know this as well, obviously, but you know why we wrote this book about this, and then we talk a lot about death in the book and about how you know thinking about that is important. It's not negative or morbid. It actually helps you live a more fulfilling, happy life as long as you contemplate your death eventually. And so very aware of all this. And then like yourself, I had a terrible, terrible 2022. Um, my wife was suddenly diagnosed with stage three cancer when our son was three months old and my oldest was two years old and we had just finished the first draft of the book and i was like oh my my this is crazy like this is what i'm telling people about i don't need this reminder of how crazy precious life is and uh, my wife is an absolute warrior and it wasn't like a very easy experience you know she did five months of chemo and a double mastectomy and five weeks of radiation um, but she beat it and she's cancer free we're on the other side of it right now again it's very new still it's only been a year and a few months since it all started um, but that again my, it was it was a week before my wife's 34th birthday that that happened. So I, I was just giving a, a talk to some younger folks. And afterwards, one of them literally said, they're like, I get it. But because we do this exercise where you think about like, what if your doctor calls and says you don't have, you, know, you only have a year left to live, what would you do? And this one girl was like, it's hard for me to think about because that's never going to happen to me. And I literally am like, 
That's what everybody thinks. You know, right. everyone thinks it's never right. going to happen to you, and that's why everybody has a lot of regret when it suddenly does happen to you because it happens to somebody, right? Um, and it doesn't have to happen like now or you know, whatever. Whenever it happens, nobody's usually ready for it unless you're being intentional and have you know fulfilling you know. And you're doing the work, I guess, is the easy way to explain it. It's not about, you don't have to climb Mount Everest or stay in overwater bungalows or anything like that. It's really thinking about the things that add value. And I had thought this from the from the get-go, you know, obviously, you know, family and the time we spend together and doing those things are super important. Um, but even just the day-to-day smaller things, that's where a lot of the wealth, the treasure lies in, in our kind of wealth metaphor. Um, and then when we did the survey, that was really, really, really enlightening because so many people listed stuff like, you know, I want to learn a foreign language. I want to learn a play, how to play an instrument. I want to learn a sport. Things that totally are possible. You just have to actually do it. You just have to spend the time. And, if, and so many people, if they just chase those little things, start to fill in the cracks, are going to have a way more fulfilling experience with their lives. By the way, I'm I'm very, very, very ecstatic to hear about your son and that, you know, that everything's okay. Same to you. You know, you never know what people are going through um, behind closed doors. You know, I had no idea about your wife, and I'm grateful too that um, that she's doing well. And also, like, want to point out, you know, I, I partnered with Baptist Health recently um, during October for breast cancer awareness, and it's just, you know, people are encouraging, and I think it's important to share with our our audience, especially because you've experienced this with your wife, that women are getting breast cancer earlier and earlier and earlier, and it's not like you don't. I think for insurance to cover it or whatever. Um, it's like at age 40. And I want to be a voice that encourages women to check their breasts monthly all the time because you're, it's, not gonna, it's not like you hit 40 and then you're susceptible to it. We're seeing women younger and younger, such as your wife, that are going through this. you know, And it can, it can be prevented. And I think that early detection is very important. It's really, it's absolutely the key. There's never a good time to get cancer, but there's never been a a better time to get treated for cancer because the treatments are great if you can actually get, catch it. And you know, that's why getting screened and doing all those things is so, so, so important. So I'm I'm happy. I'm happy to hear you guys are doing well. All right, guys, let's take a quick break so I can thank our sponsor, Sauna Skin Studio, with their OG location in Wynwood and their additional locations in Fort Lauderdale and Coconut Grove. Okay, so the best way I can describe Sauna is that it feels like coming home. Unlike traditional facials, Sauna's facials are rooted in education, and I love this so much. Every experience I have had at Sauna has been a chance for me to learn more about my skin and its needs. I love that the facials are effective while also being accessible enough to be a monthly ritual rather than a yearly splurge. This is why the sauna membership is so great. I'm honored to be able to provide our audience with a promo code. Use the code THENOGLOW for $25 off of your first facial when booking at saunaskinstudio.com and additional incentives if you book a membership. I have absolutely loved my skin healing journey with Sauna Skin Studio. I was thinking about something earlier with something you said and about how society like defines wealth. And I want to talk about that a little bit. And it's one of my favorite and it's kind of, it's a little bit dark, but it's still good. It's a saying that says some people are so poor, all they have is money. And it's to your point of like, 
at the end of your life, are you looking and saying, well, let me see how much money I have in my bank account. So how do you think that society defines wealth? And do you think that more and more people are placing value on their experiential wealth? Luckily, we, we are seeing a huge change in you know, the younger generations about their, their understanding of like what's important to them. It isn't all the material things. I think that you know a lot of older generations were just conditioned that you know money was the money solved the problems, right? And of course, we all understand that, you know, and, and you and I, especially like a lot of folks, you know, growing up working two, three jobs, you know, that was the norm for me until my 30s, mid 30s, until my company started to work. There's a special kind of, you know, panic and fear and anxiety, you know, that goes along with not having enough money to pay your bills. But once you get to that point where your bills are paid, you know, then it's like really, really all about figuring out what to do with your time, right? Even in between, you know, whatever time you have, it's still a choice. And I think a lot of people, you know, we we go through the excuse list in the book and kind of break it down. But, you know, everyone, the, the top excuses are time, money, and fear, really. And you know, the money one is really interesting because a lot of the best experiences and a lot of super valuable experiences don't cost any money. So if you look at how society defines wealth, it's like, money times a lot equals happiness. And that's just not true. You know, it's experiences times a lot equal happiness. And when when we're young, we're equating experiences with money because we know we need some money to have some experiences that sound really cool, especially now you're scrolling and you're looking at people that are, you know, travel influencers, yeah, et cetera. You're like, well, it looks cool, but I don't have $10,000 to go to Bora Bora. But that's really not the, the case. There's just a million things you could be doing for however much money you have. And for planning things that are bigger you know, uh, items, it's really just about having that intentionality and doing that. So once you start to shift your mindset away from that, I think that it really and it opens up endless possibilities. And you said something really interesting I just want to touch on. And once you start doing the work to figure out what you truly value, what, you, what experiences you'll care about, and then you start actually taking steps, you find that intentionality and urgency to go after it, right? Start taking steps like now. And this is the stuff we show you. The book is very action-oriented, extremely action-oriented. Once you start doing that, that's where that magical intersection of passion and purpose collide. And that's where you find that happiness, right? So you start figuring out what you're good at. You start figuring out what you like, what you care about, and you're putting more time into that. And once that happens, it's like, forget it. Like, again, I can tell you in the last you know, 15 years, I have had more times when I've been underwater by a lot financially but still super happy. And then yeah. times when things were going great and I was so stressed. It's right. just, it's constantly, you know, life is just, you know, you just have to really be paying attention to what you care about. So something that you spoke, you just touched on was fear, right? And and you have a chapter in your book, chapter four, which is titled, The Cave You Fear Holds the Treasure You Seek. Yeah, that's definitely the case. Humans have a lot of glitches in our like mental matrix. Oh, we have glitches? Uh, <laughs> yeah, yeah, we really do. Um, but we often, one of the things with fear that's so interesting is like most of the time the fears we have are like just societal fears. We're, yeah. we're like, we, we make out something to be, you know, like for instance, public speaking is a huge one. It's like the number one uh, fear most people have. When really like the worst thing that could possibly happen is that people, you know, you, you, people might not like what you say or how you say it or whatnot, but there's not like a huge, nothing negative is going to happen. But we have this crazy ability to overestimate the negative possibilities and underestimate the positive potential. Um, and once we start to address that, once we start to actually break down the things we're afraid of and go, what's the 
best thing that could happen and what's the worst thing that could happen. Usually, the best thing it greatly outweighs the worst Absolutely. thing. Absolutely. It's, like, it's like, why on earth wouldn't I try it? An example I like to use is when I was um, younger, one of the things that was on my list that I decided I want to do was stand-up comedy. And, you know, I wouldn't have done it because I was afraid of doing it. But I was like, well, what's the worst that could happen? We break down a lot of the different um, tools for goal setting and achieving goals in the book. And one of those is accountability partners. But I found a friend that wanted to do it as well that was also afraid. And we decided, let's sign up for an open mic night and we'll do it together. And we did it. And because of him as an accountability partner, I might have chickened out, who knows. But we actually wound up going and doing it. And it was actually great. It went super well. It was really fun. And you know, if it hadn't, and by the way, I continued to do stand-up. And I did have some nights where it wasn't great. And it wasn't the world. It was the end of the world. You, know, you try new things and whatever. But uh, yeah, I think you just have to kind of face those things. I like want to be a comedian. Like on the low, I'm like, I... Hey, I'm like closet funny. Like I am funny on the low. And like one of my biggest like things that I want to do in my life is like, I want to do comedy. And it's so funny because I've never said that out loud to anybody. Like literally you're the first person I've ever said this to is that like, I love comedy. I like watched the marvelous Mrs. Maisel. I'm like, I could totally do that. I would kill it out there on that stage. And you know, who knows, maybe after this conversation, that might be something I face a fear and entertain, but like, it's really, really valuable. See, like, and this is the power of storytelling is like, you just sharing that with me in this like an anecdotal experience you know that you did and you faced that and you did it like that motivates me you know and so if if you're able to motivate me i know that we're helping other people by having this this conversation and something else you talk about in in your book is believing in the make-believe and you know there's that roald doll quote is like those who don't believe in magic will never find it the word magic is is like a very big word for me. It was on the inside of of my old wedding band. You know, it's like yeah. something that I keep the word magic in my house. Like I really feel like I believe in magic, and I think that a lot of other people kind of would would do well to believe in the make believe also. So talk to me about that. It's just so you know, like again to go back to how it's not about climbing Mount Everest or running a marathon. Like it, it's about finding the magic around you every day. And you can learn so much from kids. Like kids are great. Like you don't remember, but there was there was a day that was the very last sleepover you did and you didn't know it at the time. But it's like, why did you stop? Right. If you got together with a bunch of your friends and had a sleepover, I get I guarantee you it'll be a blast. If you go and have a water balloon flight tomorrow, it'll be a blast. If you do any of those type of childish things that you used to really love, we actually asked this in our survey, by the way, like what is something you did as a child that you loved doing that you would still love to do now? And we got so many awesome answers, whether it was like pillow fights or laser tag or and these are all things that people can do. They can do today, tomorrow. They're basically free or very, very, very cheap. And that's where you get that, you know, that laughter, that connection, that joy. And and this goes again to like the memorable part of life, right? How many evenings of scrolling Netflix are you Netflix are you not going to remember? And then how many times if you if you do, for instance, like if you have a get together with your friends and do something really silly, you're gonna remember that for the rest of your life. You're gonna literally go, Oh, remember that night that we all got together and we told, you know, ghost stories by the campfire or we you know, any any little thing. My my business partner Bridget has a great example that I'll share. They actually she made her own wine in her garage that we we got to take we were working on it for a while and uh when she had the wine party we uh, we all went to her place and 
it wasn't the entrance wasn't free. You had to write a jingle for her wine, pizza wine, because she loves pizza and wine. So every single person that came had to get up and perform the jingle that they wrote for the wine. And people and it did it. The, oh yeah, every single person, and it was hysterically funny. And I will never forget that night. It was again like just the silliest idea. But there's so many examples like that where you can just create a theme around something or do something funny, and it'll just be an outrageously memorable experience. I love that. So, you know, in this, I want to talk about, because it's, you know, like right now we're on a roll. We're like getting people inspired right now. This is like, we're like, I'm going to go do this. But like, we need to, we need to talk about the elephant in the room that is complacency, right? Like, because, because it's really, it's also very easy to like fall into the place of complacency where we are like spending our time you know, Netflixing or whatever movies until which, which by the way, is totally fine. Like I know that like, for example, when, you know, I'm a co-parent and when I get a break from my kids, I'm like, dude, I don't have energy to do anything right now. Like the, the way my night is made is either by like getting in my bed, putting my heating pad on, putting like cozy socks on and watching a show for an hour, you know, like, and that's, that's good for me. Is it the most memorable thing? No, but like, it, like that feels good and that's part of how I might recharge on a given day. But I think, you know, that's that's a separate thing from actually being complacent in life, right? And like feeling that I don't have the energy to go do these things. And it brings me to consider, you know, gratitude. So complacency and gratitude and being grateful for what you have, but also wanting more. And like, can you talk to me about how the, all of that makes like a soup of sorts, right? That sense of complacency, you know, the message of like, be grateful for what you have, you know, cause I personally felt a lot of shame for always wanting more. Like I always, I remember feeling like very much in an environment where I was like, you should just be grateful for what you have. And I'm thinking like, I don't, I don't know. I don't like feeling bad for wanting more for myself, but I, you know, I don't want to be complacent and I, and I also want to be grateful. So like, how do all of these, these three things correlate? Yeah, that's a really great question. I never heard it put like that, but I love that. I love the way you, you just framed that. So to me, grateful is how a feeling, right? That's how you feel now. That's a present state. And then having complacency is not having basically figured out what you want out of your one and only precious life and you know, not not having any plans to do it, right? How many times people say, oh, I want to do this, or I always want to do that, et cetera, yet make absolutely zero plans whatsoever to actually do that thing. Like, for instance, you with comedy. Now that you told me, by the way, I am your accountability partner. I'm going to check in with you on this comedy thing. Oh, just, I'm, I'm going to be, I'll be your coach. I'll help oh, you with your first Oh my gosh, first get ready, night. world. They're all like, sit down. And it's going to be great. It's going to be great. Um, and, and then the difference between, you know, a complacency and just actually having like kind of like scheduled downtime, um, those are really different, right? Because I do think that it's super important and okay to say, okay, tonight I want to, I do want to have like a Netflix chill, put my feet up night. That's great. What a lot of people do though, is they just, they fill all their free time with that because it's easier. And yeah. it just sounds, it's That's like right. they're, they're not, it's, yeah, it wasn't a choice. It was actually, you know, we live in a world where, everything is very, very um, intelligently designed to steal our time and our attention. So yes. it's just so, so easy to just sit and scroll for three hours, not on purpose, right? So 
if, if you set that time and say, look, tonight from you know seven to nine before I go to bed, I'm actually going to put my feet up and I'm going to watch a movie. Great. If you just you know come home from work, turn on the TV, and just kill time, you're basically spending the you know. And we all have the same. 1440 minutes a day if you spend that time you don't get it back it's like little sand in the hourglass so the easiest way to overcome that and and overcome the complacency part is to figure out first what you care about and we do a little exercise there's a couple things that that i think are really helpful one is the memento mori chart um, and that's in the beginning of our book and it's in our card deck as well but it's basically 76 squares each one representing one year in the average human life and you look at that chart and you fill out all the boxes that you've already lived. And then you can see how many that you have left potentially. Obviously, you know, some people, you have it right there, which is great. This is a crazy visual reminder. This gives people like the heebie-jeebies, but it also kind of also gives people this like, whoa, I didn't think of it like that. Right. So using that kind of tool, we do another thing like it's the treasure map exercise where we have people imagine their doctor just called and they told them they only have a year left to live. And what are the 10 things they would do? And what always happens is after we get people to write down those things that they would absolutely find a way to do, or they would be, you know, over, overwhelmed with regret. And we ask them afterwards, how many of those things are you currently working on? And it's not, it's like almost always not. It might be one out of however many, 10. And once you have that realization that those are the things you're going to care the most about, why aren't you working on them now? The next thing is let's break it down into something we can do because the reason we don't start a lot of those things is because we look at it in these big giant nebulous kind of like how do i overwhelming yeah it's overwhelming so instead what we always say is just break down all the way down to the very first smallest step you could possibly take and do that like today or put it on your calendar for this week to start like starting a business is a great example of it's really hard for people to wrap their heads around like what it takes to start a business. But anyone can get a business license. Anyone can get a trademark. Anyone can figure out like a name for their company. Everyone can write a business plan. Like those things are free or very, very cheap. And if you just start taking steps, you'll be surprised at how many things happen. Just like you know, you just saying like you want to do comedy. I guarantee you're going to probably have a handful of people reach out to you. And go, oh, that'd be so great. You should do this X Y Z. So once you start to vocalize, you turn these like kind of these wishes, these dreams into actual plans. And that is a big giant step that, that takes complacency and moves it into action. And, you know, it doesn't have to be all at once. It's so much better to take a tiny step every day than to try to like have that plan like my dad had where, you know, say, I'm going to do all this stuff when I retire. And then maybe that doesn't happen. And, you know, my wife's story, I think is really pertinent because when my wife, when we got the diagnosis, uh, when we got the pathology after her double mastectomy and finally found out that she was cancer-free and the treatments had worked, this was eight months post her her diagnosis, we looked at each other and we we're like, you know, what are what is what do we do you know, next? And our plans stayed the same. There was no changes because we had been doing all these things that we, we knew what we wanted to do. You yeah. know, we knew exactly. We just had more urgency than ever to keep doing those things. Where my dad's story, he had to change his entire life. Yeah. So if pe- if people can start taking those steps, steps. you don't want to. Yeah, you don't want to have to rebuild your whole life because of you know something happening, and then all of a sudden going, oh my gosh, I've got to try to cram it all in at the end now because I didn't realize that decades went by and I didn't do anything I wanted to. Right. So. You talk about, in the book, turning negatives into positives. Now, how do we do that without bypassing? 
You also say in your book that the only way through is through. Yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah. So, you know, this is I'll use another comedy reference, right? You know, comedy equals tragedy plus time. So almost everything that goes on in your life that's negative, at some point in the future, you'll laugh about. It's sad to say that, you know, almost every single thing, and it might take a year, it might take 10 years, it might take a week. And then there's things, of course, that aren't ever going to seem funny or be funny, like losing, you know, a traumatic experience or losing a loved one or something like that. But those things still bring very positive internal things. For instance, like that feeling of gratefulness, that that moment that I had with my business when I felt like my life was bankrupt, that coincided, like I said, with my dad passing. But two other things happened. Actually, at that exact same time, my dog died suddenly and my first wife and I got divorced um, very suddenly also. And, and, uh, you know, I was really, really going through this moment of like, you know, why my dad, why is this happening? Blah, blah, blah. And, I just had to step back and go, what do I have to be grateful for? And instead, I just started thinking about how much positive I had out of all of these things. You know, I, I was so fortunate that I had a relationship with my dad and that he had this second lease on life and that I got to watch him have this wonderful second chapter. And I'm lucky that I had fallen in love and gotten married and, you know, it didn't work out. But a lot of people don't have that experience. And I just thought that, well, I'm very lucky to have that. And I'm lucky to have had a dog and live in a place where you can have a dog and, you know, live that kind of wonderful life. And that changed a lot, you know, for me. Like I immediately just felt this different feeling about all of those experiences. And I was like, okay, well, like I can take that and I can grow. And it's kind of the hero's journey concept, right? Where yeah. nobody wants to hear a story about somebody that nothing happens to, right? We all want to hear the story about the the person that was like less than, you know, perfect, whatever, and uh, an underdog and something terrible happens that they have to overcome, but yeah. they do. They go through, they slay the dragon and go through the fire. And the other side, they come out this incredibly, you know, just a, a, a new version that's so much better, so much, you know more uh, fulfilled. Joe, you are amazing. I can't wait to finish your book. I haven't been able to finish the entire thing, but it's already tremendously helpful. And I think that anybody can relate to this. I don't think that there's any person on this planet that could not get something from this book. And I'm so grateful that you had the courage to write it. Oh, thank you, Nikki. That really means a lot. So tell us where people can find you and Experiential Billionaire. Experiential Billionaire uh, on Amazon, of course. And we also have our website, experientialbillionaire.com. And then my personal site is joehuff.com, where uh, you can find out more information about my keynotes and corporate workshops. And my business partner, Bridget, also, um, she has one, bridgethilton.com. Joe, thank you so much for your time. I love chatting with you and I just hope that you continue to change lives for the better. I know that you will. And, you know, even today, like you've changed my life. So I appreciate you. Oh, thank you, Nikki. I really appreciate being on. This podcast was brought to you by Sana Skin Studio. Be sure to use my code, the no glow for $25 off of your first facial at Sana when booking via sanaskinstudio.com. More than a skin studio, Sana is a movement towards healthier skin and self-love. Thank you so much for listening to The No. If you loved this episode, go ahead and share it with a friend. Words are so powerful and someone may need to hear what we covered today. And if you really loved this episode, 
please take a moment to rate the show and leave a review. Your comments are so important and valued, and they give other listeners insight on what to expect on The Know. You can connect with me personally via Instagram at Nikki Sap Spo and The Know with Nikki Spo. My hope for you today is that you are fearless in looking inward so that you can be your highest, most authentic self and go after the life of your dreams.